verses 7 17. 1 John chapter 2, verse 7. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have since, which you had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of the sinful man, the lust of his eyes and the boasting of what he has done, comes not from, from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. This is the word of God. Well, Good evening, everyone. I hope you can hear me. Um, I'm going to just set up. So say hello to you, um, someone just next to you, around you. You've got about 10 seconds because all I have to do is get that stand, bring it over and open up a book, okay? So say hello to someone and I'll be back in a second. Well, you'll be able to continue those conversations um, afterwards. Seriously, I didn't have to do much. And tonight, it really is great to see you tonight here. Um, and I say that literally because the last few times that I've been here, um, I've, I've had my old glasses. I've got new glasses and I can actually see what's in front of me here, my notes, and I can see you too. So literally, it is great to see you. But there is a danger because in the past, You've just been a blur and I've assumed you've been interested and, um, and now I'll know for sure. So um, let's just pray before we start and then we'll have a look at what God's Word is saying to us tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful opportunity it is to come to your Word. We pray that you would give us open eyes, open hearts to hear what you have to say to us tonight. And we pray that by your Holy Spirit that you would speak to us convict us of things in our lives that perhaps we need to change and uh, we ask for those tonight who don't acknowledge you as the Lord and Saviour that uh, you would speak to them. So we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, If I asked you what's the first word that comes to mind when I say the word Nepal or Nepal? What's the first word that comes to mind? Would it be mountains? Would it be mountains? Would it be Mount Everest? Mount Everest's in the background there somewhere. Would it be Sherpas? Or would it be Kathmandu? 
Well, I was there recently and some of the words that come to my mind are the words cheap, fake, copies. The people and the mountains are real but so much stuff isn't real. They're only copies of the real thing. I mean, check out my so-called North Face jacket and my so-called you know, hiking boots. They're just cheap copies. And have you ever stopped to think about how much stuff around us is just cheap and fake and copies? If you go to a market in Melbourne or you go to Asia, you'll soon realise that there's so much stuff, clothes and watches and sunglasses. They're just fakes. They're just copies of the real thing. And sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between the fakes and the copies. The copies sometimes look really genuine. But if you have a look at my North Face, so-called North Face jacket, you'll notice there's some plastics coming off the side here. After about three times I wore these shoes, I had to glue them up. They're fakes. And you see, a genuine item has certain qualities that set it apart from the fakes, from the imposters. And if you want to find out what's genuine and what's a fake, there's always something, some sort of test that we can do so that we can tell what's genuine and what's not. And this is what we're going to find in this section of the Bible that we're going to be looking at tonight. We're going to be looking at tests that show the difference between a genuine Christian and a fake Christian, those pretending to be Christians. And we're also going to see how serious it is to be a fake Christian. You might have bought something that's fake, just a copy, and it didn't last very long, but it doesn't really matter because you probably didn't spend that much money on it. But fake Christianity... This is something serious and the consequences are serious. We've already seen in this letter that we're running, we're working through in the last few weeks, we've already seen some tests between a fake Christian and a genuine Christian. The first test was whether we walk in darkness or whether we walk in the light and that was in chapter 1, verses 6 to 7. The next test was whether that we can admit that we are sinners who need God's forgiveness. And that was in chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. And the test in the first six verses of the chapter we're looking at tonight, in chapter 2, showed that a fake Christian doesn't keep God's commandments because he doesn't know God. But a genuine Christian, the one who knows God, keeps his word. And so far these tests show the marks of a genuine Christian in a kind of a broad, general way, a genuine, a genuine Christian walks in the light. A genuine Christian admits that they're a sinner and is forgiven. A genuine Christian is obedient. But tonight, we're going to narrow in on some of the genuine marks of a Christian. And we're going to look at the love test. Now, the love test, I know that sounds perhaps like a 1980s TV game show or something, but that's what we're going to do. We, these verses from 1 John chapter 2, verse 7 and onwards are all about love. They are tests of our love. And there are three love tests that will show whether we are a genuine Christian or just a fake. Do we, know, do we love other Christians? Do we know God's love? And do we love the world? The first test is, do we love other Christians? If you're a genuine Christian, one of the marks will be your love for your brothers. And when we hear this word brothers, we read it here, it should sort of, it means 
all other Christians. It's not a gender-specific thing. And we see from the outset that John expresses his love for his readers by calling them dear friends or beloved. And then he says that this test about love, this love test, it's not new. The commandment to love others is an old one and it's something that they've known about ever since they first became a Christian. If you read with me in verse 7 there, it says, Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command but an old one which you had from the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. The old command is probably referring back to the Old Testament in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 8, which says, love your neighbour as yourself. And Jesus was asked in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36, what was the greatest commandment in the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. This command to love isn't new. But then we get this curious statement in verse 8 which says that while it's an old command, it's also a new commandment. Do you find that a bit confusing? It's old, it's new? How can something old also be something new? John seems to be contradicting himself. So, So what are we to make of this? John is really just saying what Jesus taught about love. Jesus said to his disciples in the, uh, the Bible reading we had earlier on in John 13:34 that he was giving them a new commandment to love one another. As I have loved you, that's how you are to love one another. The newness of this command to love is perhaps best understood by the fact that its truth is seen in him. That is, Jesus. Can you see that in verse 8? Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him. The word truth here really means something like truly expressed. So when we read this new commandment, it's saying that love finds its true expression in Jesus Christ. Just imagine living in ancient Palestine in the uh, time and witnessing the life of Jesus. You see Jesus healing diseased outcasts, speaking with Samaritans, even Samaritan women, eating with tax collectors, welcoming children and forgiving his enemies. This would have been completely shocking. No one ever loved like this before. As a commentator I was reading during the week and his name's David Jackman and he said, for the first and only time in the history of the world, that the command was lived out in the human life of Jesus Christ with a depth and reality no one would otherwise have ever glimpsed or imagined. This new command to love was truly and genuinely expressed in the life of Jesus. But here's what some of you might find surprising. In the middle of verse 8, it says that it's not just true in Jesus, but its truth is seen in you. It's saying that these Christians that John's writing to are reflecting what it means to live out this command to love. Don't you find it amazing when people of different cultural backgrounds and social status and age and education, they get together because they love Jesus, that they can love each other? And that's the test we find here. And that's the test. 
We're meant to love each other because since the time that Jesus came to this world, we are now living in a new age, an age where everything that's wrong with this world is in the process of passing away. If you look all around at this broken world, this sinful world, you mightn't think that the darkness is passing. You might think it's increasing. But we have an assurance that when Jesus returns, the darkness of this world will completely pass away and the perfect light of Christ will rule. Now, as we look at verses 9 to 11, we read what one of the specific marks of genuine Christianity looks like. It's easy to say you're a Christian, but what if you hate other Christians? What if there are people in this congregation that you haven't spoken to for for months or years? Are there Christians that you gossip about or you put down? Are there Christians you just can't forgive them? Verse 9 says that anyone who claims to live in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. These verses aren't saying that we should only love other Christians or that we can hate non-Christians. We know that's not how Jesus loved. It's a reminder that there's to be a special, particular love for other Christians. We were reminded tonight when John introduced um, the service that we should love each other, other Christians, because the church should be a foretaste, a glimpse of what heaven will be like. Remember what Jesus said in John 13:35, the way you love one another is how people will know that you belong to me. We can see in verse 10, when a Christian loves, it says he is living in the light, and this won't be something that trips him up or gets in the way of following Jesus. Verse 10 says, whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there's nothing in him to make him stumble. It's the person who is in the darkness that stumbles. You know what it's like when you get up in the middle of the night and you've left stuff over the floor and your wife's rearranged the furniture and you can't find the light switch. You stumble because you're in the darkness. But the Christian who loves his brother is living in the light. This is a mark of a genuine Christian and this doesn't cause him to stumble. So, What if fake Christians hate genuine Christians? Fake Christians hate because they're in the darkness. They're blind to God's love. They're blind to his truth and his forgiveness. And they keep on hating and eventually they become blind. That's what it's saying there in verse 11. Have a look at that. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. This is what can happen when a person is surrounded by people who hate other people. I was reading an article recently about child suicide bombers and they, they themselves were bombarded with messages of hate towards other people, even in things like kids' cartoons and puppet shows. And as many of these children grew a little older, in a sense they became blind because of their hatred towards others. And this is what happens to fake Christians. They become blind because they keep on hating other Christians. The second test is, do we know God's love? The first test was asking if we love other Christians, but the second test is asking, do we know that we are loved by God? 
This is not a test of what we do, but of knowing what God has done for us. In the Bible, the way we live is never separated from what we believe about God. Some people only want rules to live by. Some people only want knowledge about God. But when we understand God and his love for us, this will motivate us to live for him. And if you look at the next section from verses 12 to 14, it looks a little curious. It seems like John is repeating himself uh, and sometimes we repeat ourselves when we say some things that are important. My mum, I've been driving for 28 years, my mum keeps still says to me, drive carefully son. I still tell my wife and my kids that I love them and it's important to keep doing this. And it's hard to tell from the um, the version in the pews there, from the New International Version translation, but he first addresses little children, fathers and, uh, and young men in the present tense, something that's happening now. And then he speaks to them a second time, and that's from the end of verse 13, and he speaks to them in the aorist tense, and that's something that happened in the past. He emphasises what he's saying by repeating it. John repeats now what he has already written in the past. This isn't something new. It's a bit like verse 8 where the command to love is being repeated. It's something that they have heard in the past. It hasn't changed. The first part of the test of knowing God's love is knowing that we are forgiven. And John says, and he's talking to all Christians when he calls them dear children, that your sins have been forgiven. The life you once lived in rebellion to God was an offence to him. But now you're forgiven. You didn't earn or deserve this forgiveness, but because of God's mercy, Jesus has taken the punishment that we rightfully deserve. All you had to do was receive the gift of forgiveness. You are forgiven on account of his name, which is really saying... Because of who Jesus is and what he's done, you are forgiven. We can see that in verse 12. Verse 12 says, I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. The second part of the test of knowing God's love is acknowledging who Jesus is. Jesus now addresses fathers and maybe these are older people in the church or perhaps they're more mature in their faith and he reminds them that they have known him who is from the beginning. Who is the one from the beginning? I recently heard a Sunday school, a talk about a Sunday school teacher who was asking the children a question. He was saying, now what's grey and furry and it lives in gum trees? None of the kids were answering his question. It's got a black leathery kind of nose and eats eucalyptus leaves. And one of the kids eventually put up their hand and says, I know the answer is Jesus, but it does sound like a koala. (laughs) The answer here, who is from the beginning? It is Jesus. It is Jesus. It must be referring to him. He was described as the one from the beginning in the very first verse of this cha- in, in chapter 1, the one from the beginning. Verse 13 and 14 reads, I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. The false teachers of the day were saying that Jesus is not the eternal Son of God. And a few verses further on, in chapter 2 and verse 22, John asks the question, who is the liar? It is the man that denies that Jesus is the Christ. There are religious groups today 
who deny that Jesus is the Messiah. But those who believe that Jesus is God's son and was with God in the beginning, they show one of the marks of a genuine Christian. Don't fool yourself. If Jesus isn't God's son, he's not your saviour and he's not able to save you any more than the person who's sitting next to you. The third part of the test of knowing God's love is acknowledging that our strength to overcome evil comes from God. He writes to the young men and he says in the second part of verse 13 and the end of verse 14, I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. And then at the end of verse 14, I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the world. John is saying that God is working in them and helping them to reject the falsehood that is all around them. They are able to remain faithful to God. And if you jump ahead to chapter 4 and verse 4, it says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. That's evil spirits. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And not only are they able to overcome because God is working within them, but the word of God lives in these Christians. And so, what is the word of God that lives in these Christians? Well, this is probably best summed up. There's a summary statement in this book and it's in chapter 3, verse 23 and it summarises the whole book of this whole letter and it says in in chapter 3, verse 23, to believe in the name of Jesus Christ and to love one another as he commands us. A genuine Christian is the one who knows God's love. The final test, do we love the world? If we love this world, and we can define this world here as everything that is in rebellion to God, which includes attitudes and values that are opposed to God's purposes. If we love these things that are in rebellion to God, then the love of the Father is not in us. Have a look at what it says in verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We can't love both the world and the Father. Loving the world is incompatible with loving the Father. It's a denial that we're in the light. The genuine Christian does not love the world. What does loving the world look like? Well, firstly, it's being obsessed with and craving the things that you see. These cravings, they're described in verse 16 as the lust of the eyes. Have you ever ridden your bike along the Yarra River, just near the city, and seen all those massive houses and apartments and the luxury cars and the boat tied up to its own private jetty, those fancy entertaining areas? And you think, oh, these people must have impressive careers. Do you crave these things? Do you crave those expensive, fashionable clothes that only very wealthy people or models wear? Those overseas holidays? A relationship with a non-Christian? Craving what you see is part of what loving the world looks like. Loving the world also means that we let others know how much this world means to us. It's boasting about what we have. Sometimes we can't help ourselves from you know, dropping in that comment, well, your Toyota Camry, that's a, it's a nice car, but you know, I'm pretty happy with my new Mercedes. If you love this world, 
you'll want to let everyone know just what you have. Not just what you have, but what you've achieved. I heard on the radio just this Friday that a singer was going on tour and he was self-promoting his own tour himself. What a beautiful bit of tautology that is. One of the marks of loving the world is going on a lifelong tour of self-promoting your achievements. If you think about it, you have to ask, where do these cravings come from? Where does this boasting about our achievements and what we do, where does this come from? Let's have a look at verse 16. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful men, the things that we see and the boastings about our possessions and achievements does not come from the Father but from the world. Our cravings for possessions and our boasting is not from God and ultimately will not satisfy us. They will enslave us because they always demand more. And we're given one other reason why we're not to love this world. This world is only temporary. If you were at the um, the Belgrave Heights Men's Convention last Friday night, and that would exclude all the women, so you weren't there, I know that, we heard that everything in this life is only a breath and then it's gone. Back in verse 8, it said that the darkness of this world is passing away. How can something that won't last bring lasting meaning and purpose to our lives? It says in verse 17, if you have a look at that, that the world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. If we're honest with ourselves, we know that nothing this world offers will satisfy us because it just doesn't last. What will last forever are those who do God's will. They will live forever. So, do you pass the love test? Are you the genuine article or are you a cheap copy? Do you love other Christians? Do you show the marks of a genuine Christian by the way you love? Loving others isn't easy, is it? Loving people is costly. It costs time and money and reputation and our strength and often there seems to be no return. I do love hearing about those unseen acts of love in this church when someone takes a Christian brother or sister to a medical appointment because they think they need support and they don't want to be alone. When someone sacrifices a day's pay to spend time reading the Bible with them and praying with them when I'm in the car park and I see people who have gone out of their way to pick up some old people who can't drive themselves anymore and who want to come and worship with us. These are the marks of a genuine Christian passing the love test. But perhaps you're different. There's something different between what you say and what you do. Maybe you're a cheap copy. And remember, there's a danger of being a cheap copy, a fake Christian, The fake Christian lives in darkness, hating other Christians. Do you need to go and speak to someone and ask them to forgive you for the way you've been treating them? Do you need to put aside some time to do something for someone else? Do you need to open your home to someone in particular and so that you can mend a broken relationship? We are being urged here not to be like those fake Christians who claim one thing but live out something else. The second test was, do you love the world? 
This is another test that shows whether you're a genuine Christian or not. Are you flirting with this world? You can say you're a Christian, but maybe you're really just having an affair with this world. What are you looking forward to? Your new home or the new home extension? Your promotion at work? Your next extravagant holiday? Your new wardrobe? What do you invest? What do you invest most of your time and money into? A good test is to look at your schedule on your diary and to look at your bank account. The things you see, the things you have, the things you do will all pass away. They're just a breath. Everything we see and have and do, they're all gifts from God. We need to be thankful for all these things without craving after them and making idols of them. And if we're to have any hope of passing the love test, we need to fully grasp the extent of God's love for us. It's knowing that we're forgiven by God that must motivate us to love others and not to love this world. Let me ask you, do you know God's forgiveness? Do you know that when you hate others, when you live for everything this world offers, this is an offence to God? Do you know Jesus, the one from the beginning who came to earth and overcame evil for us, who died the death that we deserve? We can be strong and love others and refuse to love this world, but only if we trust in what Jesus has done for us. This is what knowing God's love for us means. It probably won't be too long until I have to throw out my cheap copy fake clothes. I might be able to fool some people but there's going to come a time when they're going to fall apart and I'll put them in the bin. And if you're a fake Christian, you might be able to fool some people but you cannot fool God. The test of your love will expose what you really are. The the difference with my cheap fake clothing is there's no way I can change what they are. They will always remain cheap fake copies. But the great news of the Gospel is that if you know you're a fake Christian and you're failing the love test, God can transform and change you from a cheap copy into the genuine article. If this is you tonight, it's my prayer that you will receive God's forgiveness so that you can, God can transform you. It's only then that you'll be able to show the marks of a genuine Christian. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word speaks to us so clearly about what it means to follow you and to be a genuine Christian. We pray that you would help us to live out what you call us to be, that we won't be fakes, that we'll be genuine in all that we say and do. When we say we love you, we pray that you would help us to love each other and not to love the things of this world. Help us to know your forgiveness and fully grasp this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.